the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my manners. And, and the mirrors, like they, the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees, like they kind of rotate open. And all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors. I'm just well, going to throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. Just when I parted ways with monuments and so it was a really, really desperate time of my life. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. So, like, basically back to the beast era. Dealing with this alcohol intake and we're at a Christian festival and we're supposed to be a Christian band. I was kind of like, man, this, this sucks. This is not a good look. Welcome back to another lovely edition of Dark Side of the Scene. Sitting here in my basement, I'm Brandon, <laughs> alongside Ed, who's sitting in his music studio. I don't have a ba- I actually don't have a basement, so like, if I get a tornado, we're fucked. And I don't even like consider this a studio. I just consider like, you know how like, <laughs> you know how, like you see the YouTube people that actually have studios. Yeah. Like, I should be, there should be a ghetto word for studio, <laughs> ghetto setup, whatever. I mean, the ghetto, the ghetto. <laughs> I mean, I could still make some music with what I have. Again, like, no gear shaming. No. Anyway, anyway, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I was going to, actually, I was going to talk about something, which, um, I don't know if it, it's in other people's scenes, but like, well, from what we're hearing from past podcasts, a lot of people's scenes are dying all over, you know, in these times. And some are still thriving, but um, we had a show the other day. I did, actually, excuse me, I went to a show the other day and someone had made a point about all these young kids. And it was like an all ages kind of venue and all these young kids were there and uh, a guy I know had made a post about, you know, what the hell happened to the scene that was here that used to support us and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, it seemed like it died out because, as we said in other podcasts, a band, someone in a band got ostracized for doing something and suddenly everybody stopped coming. But I don't know if, like, that caused it, but it seemed like to be the catalyst for everything and and a lot of people just thought, well, yeah, yeah, stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. And he was basically just calling out the scene, why they didn't come out when all the younger generation of kids did. And I mean, I'm I'm kind of on his side for that, but I, I don't. My thing is, like in my band, I just wonder if like how to reach the people that aren't part of the scene, if that makes sense. Because we got a lot of people that like that kind of music and then we played and venues, bigger venues where people are like, I haven't heard of you. I'm like, we're local. What the hell? What do you do with your life? Like, how do you reach those people? I mean, yeah. we've, we've been on the radio, but I'm not really sure if it's helped attendance. Well, we haven't really played locally in a while since the radio thing. Maybe we got more people. I don't know. I've yet to find this out till like 
next month when you start playing. But I don't know. It just seems like kind of ignorant that people don't know about music aside from the radio if they're into the heavy stuff. Heavy stuff's not even really on the radio. No. If anyone's listening to like the music you play or the music I played or whatever, like the heavier metal type stuff, it's not necessarily radio friendly. I mean, you might hear a song here or there on like a local thing, but you don't typically hear it on just standard AM, FM radio. Right. Now, if you have satellite radio, like high end people, like uh, snobby people like myself who has Sirius XM because (laughs) I'm a douchebag, then uh, you might hear some metal. But to be 100% honest, the only stations I have are I typically listen to talk stations or a sports station. Right. Randomly, I might listen to some metal, but then I also listen to old school rap, which is (laughs) funny because people wouldn't think that about me, but no, I really like my old school rap. Right. So, Hmm. I don't know. I think just from doing this show, so it sounds to me like a lot of the scenes are similar and they all have the same assholes involved somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. If when you look at it from the outside, yeah, it's pretty much the same everywhere. I mean, you can't force people to do everything just like I can't be at every show myself. So maybe I'm guilty too for not helping the scene. I don't know. Like, I feel like I've got enough shows. People have actually defended me and saying oh it goes to that one because like i don't have a life so i like to check out bands and whatever it's hard for me to go because i have so much going on outside of right just working i have a family and they do 800 different things so there's that right and i think that's a couple people's uh you know their excuse which is a good one is that they kind of don't have the time to do that stuff no more maybe that's how things die out it's, you grow up a little bit yeah I, I guess that'll never grow up is my problem <laughs> but yeah that's uh that's another topic yeah and then uh i'm just actually that dinged on the recorder not but i just got a notification from our guest trying to get a hold of me Wondering if we're still doing this interview, so I guess we better uh, bring him on in. But before yeah. we do, before we do, anyone out there listening, if you want to be on Dark Side of the Scene, send an email to Brandon at DarkSideOfTheScene.com, and we will get you scheduled. Sorry for uh, delaying this, but we'll go ahead and bring the guest in, so hang tight. I'd like to take the time to welcome our guest, Jack, to the show. Jack, thanks for coming out and talking to Ed and I. Thanks for having me, guys. I haven't heard somebody named jack since the 80s oh my name is technically john <laughs> oh but i like i like the last name because i can go Ethan. anyway <laughs> yeah my middle name is richard so yeah i used to get a lot of jack dick eaton jokes when i was in high school oh man it's <laughs> wild so sorry who's talking first sorry i was laughing oh so where are you from john jack jack <laughs> shit no, it's all it's all good. I'm not gonna hold you to it or anything. Um, sure. so 
I grew up in upstate New York, and I've been living in Massachusetts for the past six years. Ooh. What um, brought you to Massachusetts? Work. Um, I went to high school um, in upstate New York, and then I went to college. Um, I went to engineering school. I have a degree in electrical engineering. And when I graduated, I wanted to work in the healthcare industry. And there was a lot, there are a lot of jobs like that out here in New England, near the Boston area. Um, that's not where I started working at first. Um, my first job out of college was at Bose, um, you know, the speaker headphone company. Oh, pretty sick. <laughs> the sickest part there was that I got 50% off all their stuff. Damn. So that's that was actually, a, that that's was a, a good and a half. <laughs> that's a good deal considering how much that shit is. Did you go yeah. to MIT? I did not. I went to RPI. Which okay. is a very similar school, but in upstate New York. I say, if you went to MIT, I'd feel like we're in the presence of a genius. <laughs> not that you're not. I'm just saying, like, anytime I hear MIT, I always think of people who are like some super like rocket science technology wizard or something. Yeah, I actually know a guy who's a heavy metal guitar player who went to MIT. He has a doctorate from there. He is the absolute smartest person I've ever met in my life. Damn him. <laughs> so we're. I forgot to tell you, we're playing this game of, well, we said it earlier, but I'm trying to guess what you look like without knowing what you look like. So eventually I'm going to try to guess what you look like by your voice later in the show. Sounds good. Right. No, I, I have no idea what I sound like or what I look like I sound like or what I sound like I look like. So I'm, I'm going to venture guess, but we'll get to it. So um, how long you've been playing music? pretty much my whole life. I honestly barely remember a time where I didn't play music. I started playing piano when I was about five or six, uh, picked up the trombone when I was about eight or nine, then finally picked up the bass around 11, and that became my primary instrument. Um, I don't play piano anymore. I own a trombone, but I don't really play it much. I'm mostly just a bass player, but yeah, I've been playing bass for Definitely most of my life. Wow. Close to 20 years at this point, almost. So listen, listen to the audience. We actually got actual bass player, not a bass guitar player that could play bass. A, a bass. Oh, is, I, see, I always use that as one of my differentiating factors. I was always like, see, I'm not a failed guitar player. I'm a bass player. Yep. That's because I heard what Victor Wooten could do on a bass. And I'm like, well, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that guy's nuts. Yeah, 20 <laughs> years later, I still can't touch him, but... <laughs> You know, you got me going. And uh, I'm assuming you're in a band, correct? I am in a few different bands, actually. Oh, shit. Yes. So I play, I'm the live bassist in a band called Contrarian. Um, we released an album, Sage of Shekinah, um, in March. And last year we toured with Suffocation, Atheist, and Surruption for a full tour. Ooh, that was nice. um, I also play in a group called The Last King. Uh, we are pretty local to New England. We have our fourth album getting ready to come out later this year. I am in a third project called Necrogenesis that's just getting started. And that features MIT Guitar Wizard, actually. Jeez. Uh, yeah, so th that's going to be a crazy tech deck EP that's also hopefully going to come out this year. And then I have a couple other like live opportunities that may be popping up throughout the year. I like to try and play out whenever I can, just because mm. that's the fun part of playing music, you know? Everyone yeah. always needs a bassist or drummer, so I think you'll always yeah, be busy. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I like to say that I'm in my hoe phase these days because I'm just kind of taking any opportunity that I get just for the <laughs> sake of having stuff to play. Nice. So I guess basically the, the heading of the show is the dark parts of your musical career. Um, right. I guess we could start of like what has, have you had any negative things going on with your, in your career that kind of was frustrating? <laughs> so I think the hardest part for, about music for me mm. is balancing the band lifestyle, especially, you know, having multiple projects, um, balancing that with my full-time job. Cause like I said, I'm an electrical engineer, um, which is a relatively demanding job. And like, it's definitely not easy. And so I, you know, have a full-time career doing that. Um, but then I, you know, I own a home, I have a family, and then I'm still trying to find time to play all this music. And it's like, I, I don't, I'd rather have it. Uh, sorry, I flipped there. Um, wouldn't have it any other way uh, because I need music to survive, basically, which was a key lesson from the Beast era, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the most difficult thing for me is just, you know, managing the schedule, everything. And especially like with The Last King, um, we're all dispersed kind of throughout New England and everyone in that band also has, you know, similar full-time careers as well. So it's almost impossible for us to get together and practice. Um, and, you know, that makes getting together and playing shows all the more difficult too, because, you know, we play technical deathcore and we can't just pick up our instruments and play a full set and it'll sound great. Like we got to practice our stuff or we're going to make fools of ourselves. Right. <laughs> So, so how, how lenient is your job to like, you know, do like, if you go on tour, like you have a lot of vacation days, what? Yeah, I will say I'm very fortunate in the sense that my company is very understanding about this whole thing. Like for instance, um, the tour with suffocation last year, that was a full month and my job was willing to let me go out on the road for a full month. Um, I actually worked part-time from the bus um, using a, a Wi-Fi hotspot in my phone. Um, so that allowed me to take half vacation days. So mm. I only used about two weeks or so of vacation time throughout an entire month long tour. Mm. But then I do still get four weeks a year, which is really nice. You guys are on an actual bus. Well, we were on a bandwagon. Right. Um, Suffocation and Atheist was on a real bus. We were in a bandwagon, which is basically just an RV. And it was contrarian and surruption sitting that RV. And so it was, we had like, nine guys basically crammed like sardines it was awesome wow that's probably uh, still a little bit better than trying to drive in a single van or something like that with other people honestly having a driver was probably the best thing about yeah. that whole experience because that's always the worst part about playing shows for me is you know being in the car especially when you're doing like a weekend run or something and you got to do a lot of driving from one place to another um i've never done anything on a as big a scale as that tour with suffocation, mm. but you know, it was, it was a lot easier to, you know, obviously not have to drive. And then with, with the routing we did, we did the entire country in about a month. So I think it probably would have been impossible to do that if we weren't driving through the night and everything, which I think is pretty common for some of these bigger tours, but you know, I'm only speaking from Eddie was one. <laughs> so yeah. how was it? actually like being playing with suffocation or anything that they all 
did the other bands treat you guys well or oh were you kind of looked at yes. looked down upon? Everyone was so cool. Like I, I really have nothing negative to say about that tour, which is probably not the not the best topic for the show. No, I guess. That, oh, no, that's no. okay. That's we okay. like to hear about the positives too. Yeah, no, like I really wasn't sure what to expect, uh, especially you know touring with absolute legends like Terrence Hobbs and Kelly Schaefer, who I you know grew up listening to. They've been doing this longer than I've been alive. And, you know, getting to meet those guys and having them be super humble and like treating me just like, you know, another one of the bandmates. Like I didn't feel like I didn't belong. I didn't feel awkward or anything. They were more than welcoming to all of us. You know, <laughs> we would go and hang out in the bus with them after shows sometimes. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, how's your uh, how's your scene out there? New England actually has a pretty good scene. Oh, you got a um, festival there, don't you? We had the New England Metal and Hardcore Fest for a while at the Palladium in Worcester. Um, that hasn't been happening the past few years. I've heard some rumors that they might pick it back up, mm. but I am not sure about that. I would, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the last king got to play at the very last one, though. Mm. Which was nice. I think it was a casualty of the beast, wasn't it? Because I'm pretty sure they had it in. 2019 i think 2020 got canceled i don't think they've done it since then i actually no i don't think it was a product of the beast i think the last one was in 2018 actually okay and then yeah 2019 they did something similar where they had two pretty big shows back to back around the same time they would have had metal and hardcore fest but they didn't call it metal and hardcore fest. okay yeah i was always i'm not familiar with it like follow up on all the time but i've always seen stuff that they always had like a new england metal hardcore festival or something like that yeah that's at the palladium which is a very iconic venue out here well mm. i've been going there for shows as long as i can remember because <laughs> this may shock you but the middle of nowhere upstate new york doesn't get a ton of shows <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a ton around here either i don't know much about that part of new york now that i think about it <laughs> it's all like hazy to me that area there's not much to know, honestly. Uh, like, there's New York City, and then there's just a big whole swath of mostly nothing, and then you got Plattsburgh, which is basically Canada. Isn't up north where Salem, Massachusetts was? Salem, Massachusetts is, like, north of Boston. It's like it is north of Boston. Boston. Yeah. Which, I've been living here for six years, and I've still never been to Salem. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah, I don't know if I would go either. It's like, eh, it's just rumors. <laughs> I mean, like, it seems cool to visit just for the heck of it. But, you know, anytime I would want to go is around October. And then it's so busy that, like, literally this past year, I received a communication from the mayor of Salem that went out to, like, a bunch of Massachusetts communities. Like, please don't come to Salem just on a whip. Like, we don't have <laughs> enough parking. <laughs> That's but t- tourism's good, but I get it. It's probably yeah. overkill. We don't have we don't have enough cops to control. Please don't come here. We're not going to burn anyone this week. Yeah, we don't have enough cops to take care of these fake witches. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Salem's a huge town either. So yeah. kind of like a we have Hell, Michigan up here, up in north. Oh yeah, that's, like, that's a famous one. And it's like you basically drive through it. And you're like, that's it. What the hell? Like it's small little town, and I don't know why it's called that, but I've been to hell before. (laughs) 
little the hell dis- I'm back. Little, little disappointing, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, based on what little I know about Michigan, that kind of checks out. Oh, no, but, but there's other parts of Michigan that are pretty cool. Well, we're not from Michigan. We're Indiana, which is fucking lame, but I won't get into that. We. <laughs> How far are you from Spencer, Indiana? I've never heard of Spencer. Uh, it's near Bloomington. We have a manufacturing site out there. I have to, I go there for work actually sometimes. Uh, that's just- more, I've been to Bloomington, so that's more like Southeast, right? Or it's west. southwest. Yeah, it's southwest. it's more south. It's more toward the south. Yeah, I'm horrible with geography, so I can I'll attempt to explain where it is from memory, and I'll be completely wrong. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, we've been we've been to Bloomington, but that's kind of a drive from here. Ed's further north. He's basically not too far from the Michigan line, and I'm about eighty miles south of him. So I'm still yeah. north of Indianapolis by like seventy miles. Yeah, now that I think about it, Spencer is kind of a small town. <laughs> Sounds like it. like it. reminds me of, you know, what I expect a typical middle America small town to be like. I've heard That's, of it, but I'm not yeah. familiar with it. That's random. Like, they would put a factory there or whatever you said was there. Yeah, they manufacture catheter. Well, I guess not catheters, but endoscopes there. Oh, uh, I hate <laughs> catheters. Yeah, so pack manufacturing, yeah. Uh, gotcha. I did play a show down, if I'm thinking about it, I think Bedford is down around that area. Mm-hmm. And that was the place where I played at a strip club. And Yes. Well, no, that was the one I said the, they felt like they had the F team that night that we played. Oh, it was yeah. it was not a very uh, fun experience. They're like, oh, get on stage, take pictures with us. I was like, do I have to? <laughs> it was weird playing a show with strippers on stage <laughs> with you. <laughs> that sounds like everyone's dream, though. I mean, that's what, that's what I said. Those I, things where, you know, it sounds good in theory, but then you get there and it's like, please get those things out of my face. I'm trying to play riffs. Get those pancakes out of here. <laughs> it was like meth central to me. Like, we <laughs> everyone looked like crackheads. Oh, my uh, oh, it's just one of those strip clubs. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, sounds like what you get out here, honestly. <laughs> Not that I go to too many strip clubs. <laughs> I haven't been to one in a long time. I, uh, I think my friends visiting here soon. We we'll probably end up one. We'll probably end up at one. I'm pretty sure. We'll see though. Anyway, but anyway, you back. Do that. You're a man of God, Ed. You know what? The last time I went to one was <laughs> man of God. I, w- I went to a bachelor party one. Excuse me. I had a bachelor party, bachelor get together, and we went to one. And I had like food poisoning that month, so my stomach did not feel good. So when they kind of jumped on me, I was not having it. I was just like, uh, you know, like when you have a really bad, so sour stomach, people try to fuck, people try to fuck with you. It was, I was not turned on. I couldn't even drink because like, anyway, it was a bad experience. (laughs) I thought you were going to say they jumped on your stomach and you threw up on her. No, I just did not feel good. I had the food poisoning from like Taco Bell of all things. (laughs) This is off topic for music, but this the bachelor party that I had years ago for when I first got married. Um, they took me on stage and they took my belt off and they pulled my pants down bare ass and they whipped the shit out of me. And everyone out there was, everyone out there was giving their belts to use against me. Someone had a belt with bullets on it. 
like one of those, it was almost like a studded belt, but it was like bullets. And I was bleeding when it was all said and done. And I was mad. I was also drunk. So at that point, I probably wanted to fight some strippers. <laughs> no, no, she did that to me too. And like, I'm already in like uncomfortable with my stomach. And then she hits me with the fucking belt. The whole fucking group I was with laughed at me. I was kind of annoyed. Yeah. Everyone was laughing too. They're like all, all about us. Like, no, fuck this. I'm tied down and they're literally I'm my ass face down, ass up, bare assed up there for everyone to see. And I'm just getting whipped the shit out of me by a bunch of curls. Oh boy. I have so. been to bachelor parties where that has happened. Not to me, luckily. This you're, isn't a dark side of the scene. This is the dark side <laughs> of the strip club. <laughs> is there a light side of the strip club? I not don't know. The, not, not for my experiences. <laughs> Same. And, well, when they turn on the lights, it's different too. <laughs> All right, get out. Whoa. <laughs> anyway, so back to the so like basically when you start up when you started up in bands, did obviously you played a lot to get where you were as far as that tour goes, but like did you have a lot of shitty encounters and experiences like prior, you know what I mean? Like so my like actual music career didn't actually start until I moved out to Massachusetts. Um, oh. So when I was growing up, I lived in a really small town and mm. all I wanted to do was be in a metal band, but like, I literally just didn't know people who like were interested in that kind of music and actually had the dedication to learn songs and get together and practice and stuff. So like I had friends that I would jam with in high school, but nothing that would really pass as a band or anything like that. Yeah. And then when I was in college, um, you know, engineering school is hard as shit. So honestly, like I didn't have a lot of time to practice a lot. My chops kind of wore down a decent amount those four years, but I still played in like jazz band and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that kept me busy. Um, but Again, like not really the same thing as being in a band, being at the scene or anything like that. Like we would play, um, we would play events on and around campus and that's pretty much it. Um, But then when I moved out to Mass, um, I was trying to find kind of where I fit in. Um, I jammed with a few potential groups and like, I wouldn't say anything really bad or anything came out of that, just like. I was just playing with people that I didn't really feel like I had a strong musical connection with. And then I was, I just happened to be lucky enough to meet uh, the guys from the last King. Um, the main guy from that band, his name is Brett. Um, it's funny. So I was going to a show at the Palladium in Worcester. It was summer slaughter. Uh, Black Dahlia murder was headlining. Um, and the glimpse you probably saw when I had my camera on, you may be able to guess that they're my favorite band. So like, of course I was going. And so Brett literally hit me up out of the blue, said, Hey, I saw that you were going on this Facebook event. Do you want to buy tickets from our band? <laughs> okay. Cause TLK, like we've done a lot of pay to play stuff. And I guess I can get more into that later. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, not necessarily pay to play, but like sell tickets to play a show, you know? And so I bought tickets through them. And so I made it a point, of course, to go and like check them out. And I sat through an entire afternoon of mediocre local openers. The Last King was the only one that I liked. Mm. And so when I saw like two months later that they needed a bass player to fill in for a show opening for Vale of Nath in Worcester, which was where I was living at the time, 
I passed. So I was like, hell yeah, this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. That that band is sick, by the I way. I would say I was supposed to play a show with them a couple of years ago and it didn't end up panning out. It was another one of those shows we were supposed to sell tickets to. And I wanted I wanted to get a contrarian veil of math tour lined up for this year, but it didn't pan out. I think mostly because everyone's fucking touring right now. Yeah. Make it up for lost time. Yep. Yeah, and it's like it kind of sucks because, like, like I said, we had an album come out not terribly long ago, and so we obviously want to do something to support the album. But at this rate, it might not happen until early twenty twenty four. Is probably when our next tour is going to be, which is fine, honestly, because I have so much other crap going on. Right. Hmm. So basically, like, you jumped in that band, and then you did pretty well with it, like not prior not not any bands prior so that was your first band yeah my the first record? real band is the last king yeah and i'm you know i'm still in them um, wow and through put out two albums or one album close to two there'll be a second one coming out later this year um we've dealt with a bunch of lineup changes at this point i'm the longest tenured member in the band other than brett and the band was around for several years before i even joined so like brett's been doing this since he was in high school so a TLK was his high school project that managed to take off. And like, so I missed a lot of the struggles that he had had kind of up front. And I managed to kind of get in after some of those initial hurdles were met. But I mean, that's not to say that we didn't have challenges or anything like that. But like, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a group of guys that you know, I really clicked with. And, you know, at that point, I, I wanted to just be in a band and play shows more than anything else. Like I, there was a period of time where I was driving two hours every Monday, two hours to practice and back. Um, Cause the problem is that they all live in New Hampshire, or at least they did at the time. And I was down in Massachusetts. So every Monday I would work until about four o'clock, drive two hours up at band practice and then drive two hours back home. And I loved doing it because I got, I was finally in a band with a group of guys that I like really clicked with. And the music was fun too. It's like that, it's like death core, but like the cool kind of death core, like kind of as blood runs black through the eyes of the dead, it's like actual riffs, not just like breakdown after breakdown, you know, right. I was having a lot of fun. And so like, I'll be honest, it was really a lot of luck that I wound up meeting those guys. And like now Brett's one of my best friends. So like, and so it's been a great experience. And they're happy to have you as a bass player, you know, because bass players are hard to find. <laughs> yeah, bass players are hard to find. Yeah. 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 That's that's one thing I'd say about New England in general is that rhythm sections can be hard to find. Man, it's everywhere then. Shit. Yeah. It, it seems like everywhere because everyone wants to play guitar or sing. No one really wants to. I, I mean, even drums too. Like, I feel like a lot of people want to play drums, but the issue there is, you know, you need so much dang equipment and you need a place to be able to set up and practice and so like there was another place where we lucked out with the last king um what our other guitarist chance he has a place that has like a home studio where we jammy has a full drum kit set up it's we're fully mic'd and everything it's full mm. of cats probably like 50 guitars damn it's, it's a real right. it's a real sweet <laughs> setup like yeah i get his dad has been you know doing live sound and playing music for pretty much his whole life i wish i had a dad like that damn it <laughs> i feel like in order to be a drummer they have to have something wrong with them 
it might not be anything noticeable to the naked eye, but I think every single drummer I've ever mm-hmm. encountered has something off about themselves somewhere. Is he short? No, he's not short. <laughs> okay. I, think I always thought of the stereotype that most good drummers are fucking short people <laughs> with attitudes. <laughs> Alex, Alex is kind of short. Alex Cohen, who plays with Contrarian, um, he's probably the greatest musician I've ever met, personally met in my entire life. And he, he's a little on the short side. So I guess there you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maybe it's only the good drummer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Huh. But I don't know. I feel like you can almost say that you know most people in the music scene have something wrong with them. Just why else are they doing it? <laughs> that yeah. is true. So how'd you end up jumping in other bands? It's just like you you made time for the rest of the projects then? Yeah, so honestly, everything else kind of came from having an online presence. Um, so you know. Obviously, during the Beast times, uh, no one was really playing shit. Well, no one was playing shows unless they were like really shady, like basement shit that like I wouldn't go to. Uh, it's, mm. I have common sense, but <laughs> but yeah, like th- since there wasn't anything else going on, I was just making and putting up a lot of like playthrough videos, just me like playing songs that I like. You know, some stuff for the Last King, but mostly just like covers of like Black Dolly and Burger. Um, like after the burial, plague bringer, protest the hero, and between the buried and me, and like a lot of bands like that that I just listened to, and so that's how I wound up being with Contrarian. Um, kind of a funny story there, actually. Um, so Jim, the uh, I guess the head honcho of Contrarian, he kind of hit me up out of the blue one day after he had seen some of my videos and then saw that I was a graduate of RPI because he was also an electrical engineer who graduated from Clarkson, which is a rival engineering school in upstate New York. Hmm. And so like, and so we were kind of from the same area. So we got talking and he says, man, it would be really cool if you could cover a contrarian song. And I told him that I listened to contrarian since, you know, kind of since they became a thing, which was true because like when their first album came out in 2015, I came across it and I was like, Ooh, Rochester tech death band. Like, let's check it out. You know, I was pretty much a fan immediately. And so he says, oh, it'd be great if you covered a contrarian song. I'm like, yeah, I would love to. The bass lines are really cool. Um, I can't really learn by ear. That's the only problem. He's like, here you go. He sends, sends me a tab. Even. And he's like, hmm. like, here, it'd be great if you could like play this. That would be awesome. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll see if I can get around to it. Never got around to it. Flash forward several months later when the suffocation tour gets announced. And so, and Contrarian announced that they're on the lineup and they have, they got another basis filling in. But like, as soon as I saw the announcement, it hit me like fright truck. Like, oh my God, he was looking for a basis to go on this tour with goddamn suffocation. Mm. So I'm like kicking myself in the ass for like a solid week until I happened to see that for one reason or another, um, that the bass player that they had gotten didn't pan out. And so as soon as I saw that, I stayed up all night learning the song that he had sent me, recording a video, I sent it out. And I was like, hey, still need a bassist for that tour? And it's like, yeah, that was it pretty much. <laughs> mm. 
basically yeah and, and then again like i went and we had our first practice and you know everything clicked really well i honestly felt like i had known all those guys all my life just after one afternoon of jamming together mm. so like i guess i've just been i've been very lucky yeah i was gonna say yeah, a, lot, a lot of happy accidents because sounds to me like the beast era didn't affect you too much like a lot of people you just kind of kept busy because you know music's your passion well i mean it was horrible on my mental health but oh <laughs> uh, well that too but like yeah i mean yeah, yeah no I, I stayed productive because yeah. i didn't know what else to do were you but working yet, were you working through that like working i was job at yes home? um i actually am a hybrid employee i work part-time from home and part-time mm. on site and so during the whole beast area i just worked from home like i didn't have any time off didn't miss a beat it was just like hey starting now um everyone has to work from home until further notice mm. okay but now i'm going in about 50 75 percent of the time so it's more or less back to normal yeah so yeah like i said it but but you did what you could with it and you know playing playthroughs and what learning songs yeah and having that extra time of not having to commute and everything too like right just gave me more time to practice and for a good chunk of that period of time i was also living alone and so it's like that was how i kind of maintained my sanity <laughs> hmm yeah, that was kind of a that's kind of a shitty experience being alone through COVID. Because at that time, uh, my then fiance, now wife, um, she was in medical school at that point in time, and mm. she was probably I think she was about five hours from where I was living in Worcester for a while, and so we only saw each other every like one or two weeks, and so that that sucked. But you know, I was like. I was like, look at it this way. You finally have all this spare time to just learn these songs that you want to learn for fun and to just practice and, you know, have a good time with it. And that's pretty much what I did. And, you know, recording videos of me doing it, putting them online was a pretty great idea because it led to me being a contrarian, honestly. Yeah, a happy accident, really. It's yeah, exactly. Sounds like that's your life, just happy little accidents. Yeah, I'm, I'm one happy little accident. <laughs> I figured it out. Have you ever seen Grandma's Boy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you look like the bad guy in that, the, the computer guy? Oh, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> no, you don't have the Matrix jacket. Okay, that's what I think you look like, but I'm probably off. I don't remember his <laughs> name either. <laughs> no, I know exactly who you mean, the video game guy, right? <laughs> yeah, like. Sit on my face. <laughs> that fucking guy. Yeah, so I, was way, was a nerd, right? I, I was way off. Damn it. <laughs> he looks nothing like that. Damn it. Anyway. You know, for a nerd, I don't think I look too much like a nerd, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. All right. Because because I you said you were like an electrical engineer, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just putting my yeah, head. Yeah, no, there's this. there's definitely a stereotype there. And like <laughs> four and a half years of being in engineering school, like stereotype was everywhere <laughs> did they make you like do roadie shit like a you know wiring and shit during the road on the road or you don't know how to do that um i mean not really like so like suffocation and atheists have like you know people who help with all of that stuff but it was very largely diy too and oh. like i said you know it was such a cool like positive environment like yeah 
I would help, you know, Suffo and Atheist load in their gear at the start of the day. And oh, then, yeah. like, the guys from Atheist would help us load out at the end of the night. So, like, everyone was – we were all friends. We were all helping each other out. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, we were all there for the same reason. It was, you know, to play shows and have fun and, you know, hopefully make some money. But Do you know how the whole getting on that tour came about? How they had the opportunity to get on that tour? I think – it was largely because Jim is friends with Kelly from Atheist. And um, Contrarian has a very, like, old-school progressive death metal style to it, like, very similar to Cynic and Atheist. And mm. so it was kind of a natural fit. And so I think one thing led to another. They were trying to put this tour on for a long, long time. And it kept getting delayed for one reason or another, um, a big Part of it was the beast times, um, but you know other things too. Just like you know, logistics were delaying it. But I know it was in the works for a while. But as far as I know, um, even though it was in the works for a while, it was that lineup of Suffo, Atheist, Disruption, and Contrarian. So it was in the works for a while, and Contrarian actually really lucked out on that particular tour because. Like, you know, going on tour isn't cheap. And that's kind of why, or a big reason why things were getting delayed. And so what we wound up doing, well, I guess what Jim wound up doing is he fronted all the money up front to rent the bus and the RV for our travel. And so like, we had basically contributed our share of like the cost, like right up there. And because so I, I think that was the big thing that was prohibiting the tour for a while was the cost of transportation. And so Jim, who's, you know, he's a CEO of the company, his wife's a lawyer. Uh, so I was going to say that as well. <laughs> that sound, I was going to say that's a lot of, unless they're on a label, like that's a lot of money to pony up. Well, I mean, we are on Willow Tip, but like Willow oh. Tip's not going to pony up that much money, I think. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was going to say like, somebody had some money around under the mattress hmm. yeah no we we all call jim bougie jim because he's very he had he has a fancy taste i suppose we'll say well, he's very generous then you know to be able to you know front all that money yeah it was it's just it was kind of unfortunate for the other bands because the way we kind of worked it out is that we fronted that money and then like Surruption wound up paying for a lot of the gas, which, and they honestly kind of got screwed over. Aren't they Swedish, yeah. correct? Yes, they are Swedish. So, so they, they, so they were coming over from Europe. They had to like, so they didn't have any cabs or anything because, you know, screw flying with cabs, screw right. with cabs and all that. So like they were all DIY, but, you know, Tony, their drummer, he still had his full kit and he had a nice ass kit. And mm. so, like, I think he flew that out from Sweden. So, I mean, that's an expense. And then I think they they wound up, you know, getting a lot of the gas bill. And like I said, they really got screwed there because gas prices pretty much doubled between when we had first started organizing this tour and when it finally ended up happening. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel bad for those guys. Yeah, I mean, gas price, gas has been a pain in the ass for everybody just trying to do anything, especially like touring or going to work ridiculous yeah i mean they were troopers through the whole thing yeah yeah they weren't like mean about it or anything. they were they were super nice guys that's good um 
as has your other bands have have you gone on like mini tours with your other bands anything like that TLK has done like little weekend runs. We had a two week tour booked for May of 2020. Mm. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but that was going to be our first tour as like a band. And honestly, at this point, um, we're all kind of spread across new England and we're all so busy with our own lives that, you know, like we have shows that we're going to try to play for this year and maybe next year we might, you know, be back in shape so that we could potentially think about something like that again. But right now um, we're just kind of, we're not really show ready yet. Like we, we got to mm. get there just cause like we've, like I said, so like I live in Massachusetts. Um, a couple of the other guys live in Massachusetts, but our vocalist lives down near Providence or Island. And then Brett still lives up in Northern New Hampshire. And so like, just just that alone with all of us kind of spread so far apart it's difficult to get together not to mention the fact that you know we all have full-time jobs too um our vocalist drew's got a baby on the way so mm. i mean great for him um, we're right. all happy for him but it's only going to make it harder for us to all get together you know as a band you know what i mean and that's wild considering like the travel that everybody lives i mean yeah yeah but like i mean we're we're damn insistent and like we're willing to make it happen i mean worst case scenario is that we might just have to like take a hiatus from live shows for a little while um but i mean we have we have a few things booked this summer and we are determined to make those happen um we had our first practice in a while this past weekend but of course i couldn't be there because i was sick (laughs) yeah i got sick at the last minute i was like guys i don't think i should well i mean we're, we're a vocalist having a baby on the way i didn't want to get him sick and have right. him get his wife sick you know what i mean and you said you're two hours away right from when you go to practice so when we these days when we practice it's at chance's house who has the home studio oh the drummer okay he, yeah he only lives about an hour from oh that ain't bad also in that so it's not as bad no that's not bad yeah so it's about an hour for me it's like but it's still like two hours from Drew and I think close to two hours for Brett to get there, maybe mm. an hour and a half, but still. Yeah. How long do you practice for then? Whenever we can get together, we usually try to make a full day out of it. Nice. No, that's, that's pretty good. Like most people like. Yeah, it's like, if we have a day where we can commit time to practice, like yeah, probably we have the full day free. Not yeah. a lot. Of, yeah. Not a lot of people have that. Like, I wish we could get a full day with my band, but we don't because everybody's schedule sucks ass. So I think at the most we get like two and a half hours or something. It's like, oh, I wish we could have more time to finish things, but whatever. I would almost rather have like a two hour practice once every week or once every couple of weeks just because. Well, I mean, not a full day, but like maybe three hours at the most would like be pretty beneficial, you know. Mm-hmm. But I get, I get. You're like, what are you gonna do for a whole day? It's like, okay, we went through the songs, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, we're also like close friends, and we never get to see each other anyway, right? So, right, right. It's you not just to, band practice. It's right, oh, go to finally Chuck get to cheese. see my homies. Yeah. yeah, go to Chuck E. Cheese and play in the ball pit with your pals. I oh yeah, <laughs> I get it. And you had a, another band, correct? How many? Bands? There's a yeah, so. There's a group I'm in called Necrogenesis, but we are still in the process of writing our debut EP. How'd you find those guys? 
Um, so once again, I was actually hit up by like the mastermind of the project because of some videos he saw me posting. Um, Man, don't, don't make me don't make me see your videos. I'll try to steal you too. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Studio bass player. Right. But yeah, no, he told me that he saw a video of me covering some Beyond Creation, and he was like, "That's the kind of bass I want for this project." Damn. He hit me up, and I'm like, "Sure, why not?" Mm. And then he needed a guitar player, and so I was friends with um, Will, who goes by Gore Blaster. He's <laughs> genius from MIT. Yeah, he goes by Gore Blaster because his like real name is like in scientific publications and shit. He didn't want to cross pollinate the two, you know what I mean? Gore but, Blaster, I like it. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's such a cult name, and then he's like just a sweetheart. He's not very cult. <laughs> Does it look like Steven Seagal? I picture Steven Seagal now. I don't know why. No, he's much prettier than Steven Seagal. Oh, okay, that's good. Steven Seagal in his heyday. <laughs> okay, okay, in his heyday, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Steven Seagal, like in the past few years. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a grumpy Indian chief now, but whatever. Pretty much what he is, right? I don't know what he is. Is he Indian? I think he like pretends to be, but he's not, I think, or something like that. Steven Seagal. All I know right. is that he's not right. the kind of person that I care to pay attention to. I'm pretty sure he's now a uh, citizen of Russia. He's one of Putin's friends. The fuck? Yeah. He's he meets with Putin a lot. He's had like photo ops with him and stuff. It's strange, like Dennis you Rodman. You could kill him with his finger, so I might as well be his friend. It's That's like Dennis not- Rodman and the dude from North Korea. How they're that all is buddies. That's not where I expected this to go. <laughs> yeah. Strange times we live in. For sure. So you and Gore Blaster have started this band. Yeah. So the cool thing about Necro is that there's this whole kind of lore behind it. Like, so Stefan is the guy who kind of started the whole thing. Um, he's the lyricist and the vocalist, but he came up with this whole like lore behind it. He has characters written out and he has like damn, like he has enough to fill like an encyclopedia, basically. Like when when the EP comes out, I think we should start like a wiki page or something to like kind of have all of this in one spot. <laughs> and so like we're gonna kind of use that as a selling point too. It's like, oh well, it's a it's a multimedia experience. If you sign us, then we can sell comic books and all this other sorts of shit. <laughs> but but that's one of the cool things I like about that particular project. And so I was so when Stefan contacted me, he had like all of the like the concepts and like a general outline of the story all written out and everything and he was just kind of looking for musicians Mm. and so when he asked if i knew any guitar players uh, i was like well gore blaster's probably the best guitarist i know personally um so i hit him up and he was interested nice and yeah so that just also worked out and it's more cross-pollination here the guy who is doing a lot of the composition work for Necrogenesis. He writes, so it's very like symphonic and everything. And he writes everything but the bass, which I write. <laughs> but mm. he is also going to be playing drums for The Last King this year. And he just happens to live about 20 minutes from me, which is awesome. And I didn't even know that until we had 
known each other for like a year and a half. I met his mom before I met him. Huh. <laughs> so I'm assuming like he's in 20 bands, just like you, you are. Actually, no. Um, oh. So the last King is actually like the first time he's going to be playing live in some time. He went to Berkeley and oh, he was pretty active <laughs> back then. But I, I think like due to just shit happening in his life, he was kind of, inactive for a while mm. and like i guess his drum kit's been in storage and so he's been mostly focusing on composition the past few years but you know now that we we had a need for a drummer we had a strong desire to play live drums and so it kind of meshed together and so like again we had our first practice with him and everything went great and so we're tracking on having him be our drummer for at least the next upcoming shows this kind of reminds me of uh, the first episode we recorded with Bram, how he had all these amazing like musicians from Berkeley and all over the place. And then they end up making like this, they all play in other types of music, but they all got together and make this sick ass metal band. Yeah, that's, I think that's a big reason why the scene in New England is so strong because we have Berkeley. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I would I would be a flunky if I was looking for somebody. <laughs> is Berkeley out there too? I thought what's the one out in California? Am is I GIT? Also Berkeley, but a different. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I get Berkeley, I get confused Cal- when people say Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, Berkeley, California is like a tech school. Berkeley, Boston is the music school. Okay. And it's funny because I was looking at both in high school. There was a period of time where I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to music school or if I wanted to stick to engineering. I decided that the better choice would probably be to get the degree that would make me money and use that to finance being a musician. And that wound up working out, actually. So Uh, That makes sense because you have something to look back on if the whole music thing falls apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, I never, honestly, I never expected to even be where I am right now. Like, if I were to go back in time 10 years and say, hey, you're going to tour with suffocation in a few years, I'd tell myself that I'm drunk or something. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe it. So, speaking of that, did you have any crazy stories happen to you during it, or it was pretty mellow? We had fun. Anything wild happen, like weird people, like fans something strange like that um so there was there was one night in kind of the beginning of the tour where there was some girl who i think she was on like molly or something but she like made her way back to the like green room where all the bands were preparing and she proceeds to start like twerking on top of kelly from atheist and he's (laughs) really unhappy about it he's like please stop like Kelly's married with kids and everything, and it's this twenty-something-year-old like, girl who's like clearly rolling face or something, just like dancing on top of him. And he's just, he has this like miserable-looking face. Like I don't want this. There was another show where I ran into a woman who didn't even see Contrarian set, but she just she's like, "You're in a band. Do you have stickers?" And I like I don't have Contrarian stickers, but I have stickers from The Last King, my other band. She's <laughs> like, "Great, can I put them on my boobs?" I'm like, of course. So I give her a big pile <laughs> of stickers, and she puts them on her boobs, and she lets me take some pictures, and I go on my merry way. Nice. 
That's weird. I'm gonna have to tell my coworkers not to listen to this one now. <laughs> They're like, "You're a, you're a rock star, man. I knew it." Yeah, yeah. That's like kind of like, like yeah. This is somewhat of a rock star moment. Um, Florida was really fun. Um, we got to hang out with a couple of Cannibal Corpse's old guitarists, uh, Pat O'Brien and Rob Barrett. With there. Oh shit, Pat O'Brien. Yeah, he's he's alive. Oh, good for him. I heard he's doing better. Yeah, he's he's doing fine. He's actually playing with Exhorter now. Yeah, I heard about that. That's crazy. I also met Kyle from Exhorter during that tour. That was a good time. Oh, wow. And I met Alan from the Black Dahlia Murder. Uh, apparently, Alex Cohen gave him lessons at one point. Does he live in Florida? Uh, no, this was a different show. This was at, uh, the, this was at the Detroit show. Okay, okay, I thought. Yeah, no, it was was a whirlwind of a month. You said you said Florida, and I'm like, all those people were in Florida. Oh, the Cannibal Corpse dudes. Okay, wow. Black Dahlia was in Detroit. Okay. What you said? You you guys are signed to Willow Tip. Yes, Contrarian is on Willow Tip. Did you have to sign something when you joined the band, or were they not on the label when you signed up? Where when you joined with them? No, they were on the label when I joined, but. No, I didn't have to do any like legal forms or anything like that. Mm. I mean, like, I think at that point the band was already established. I mean, like, so there's also a different bassist that does the studio work. Um, I but I did get to play on one song on the new album, and I didn't have to do anything for that other than just record my part and send it over. That part is that part doesn't bother you, correct? No, not really. Okay. Well, most people have this fucking sense of pride that like i should be more on the album I'm in the, you know what i mean like there's people that have like that much pride to just you know what i mean sometimes the band is bigger than the person but they don't really see it that way you know does that make sense yeah no i do see that and honestly yeah. that kind of mentality doesn't make sense to me i i know a few people that way i'm just yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean like i kind of knew going in like yeah i'm here to be the live bassist like so Ed Paulson is the name of the bassist who plays on most of the studio stuff. He has been playing music with Jim, the guitarist and founder for longer than I've been alive. Right. And so like, I can't, I can't refute like that level of connection and partnership that they have as musicians. And it's like, but I did ask like, Hey, if I'm on the tour, can I at least play on like one uh, at first, I just wanted to do like a guest solo or something. Yeah. And so that's where I started. He's like, oh, we actually do have a song that has like a bass feature. We can have you do that. And then I talked to Ed and he was like, why don't you just do the whole song? Started. Nice. Yeah. I mean, for a little while, I was like a little bummed, I guess, because like, you know, everybody on that tour was on the album, like 100% except for me. But like, I kind of got over it you know mm, that's good it's like I mean, the way i think about it a lot of the time is like this stuff that i'm doing the, the music and art that i'm involved with creating is bigger than me as a person like this stuff is going to be out there forever there's never not going to be music that i helped make in the world so like as as long as you don't take that away from me i'm pretty much happy with whatever opportunities come my way because i'm just I'm not doing this to make money or anything. I'm just doing it to have a good time. Yeah. And you're not, I guess, again, you're not like so full of yourself that you don't respect 
other people's projects, you know, because I could see where some person's like, they would be mad if they didn't get on the album. They're just going, I just want to, you know, they don't respect their position, I guess. That makes sense. (laughs) Honestly, even if I felt that way, like, I'm kind of meek enough that I would just kind of let it slide because <laughs> I hate. Right, I mean, you, I don't you, like arguing with you people. You seem like a team player is what's important here. Yeah, exactly. But I guess that's what I was getting to. You're a team player, even though like you're not like the original member. You're just cool about being a team. Uh, player. I mean, like I'm not the original member of any of these projects. Right. <laughs> like that's the one thing I don't have is a band that I basically. Like, yeah, you have. You match. just have a. Basically, you have what a lot of people don't have is a good attitude towards things. You know, they're not entitled. They don't bring this entitlement in. Like, no, most, you, know, you don't have no. this entitlement feeling. Yeah. I'm not entitled to anything, in my opinion, at least as far as the music scene goes. Like, right. everything that I've gotten, is, I have worked my ass off for. <laughs> like, right. even, even if it didn't seem like it at the time, you know, like, you know, having 10, 15 years of playing experience before I even started joining real bands, like, that's a lot of work that went into that. And even though I was just, doing it as a way to have fun and like kind of something to do other than school hmm. all this shit so are you into are you into other forms of music that you'd want to try like another outlet i would love to be in a funk band so i said i played jazz in college um that's kind of true kind of not true there were a couple jazz bands i was in one was an afro-cuban jazz band which was fun. It was a lot of mambos and really easy bass lines, but just fun. But then our other band, which I was actually the manager of for a little while, because why not? Um, <laughs> but we were called the Contemporary Jazz Orchestra. <laughs> and so we played more contemporary stuff, which was basically just a fancy way of saying we played funk and we played fusion and we played a lot of it. Mm. And so, like, we, we played, like, Prince and Tower of Power and Average White Band, um, uh, a bunch of other artists like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I would like to do again, especially now that, you know, when I was in co- I didn't really learn how to do slap bass until, like, a couple of years ago. And so if I knew how to slap when we were playing some of those old, like, funky Prince tunes, like... I bet it would have been real cool, but I just, I did everything with my fingers back then. And it was still sounding cool, but I would love to just get up there with a horn section and just thump the shit out of the bass like Louie Johnson. Burp, burp, burp. Did, so you had gigs with that band, correct? We had gigs, but they, they were like campus gigs and like campus related mm-hmm. gigs. Um, there was one cool time though. Um, one of my one of my bandmates that was in that band, um, his mother was named Janice Pendarvis. If you huh. see, if you go and watch the documentary, I think it's called like Ten Feet from Stardom or something like that. It's a documentary about like all these famous Motown backing singers that like were basically session artists that you know carried all of these tunes. Um, Janice Pendarvis is featured in that documentary. Hmm. So she's like a very like well-known, well-recognized like vocalist. And she came and did a show with us one time. And so that was really cool. Nice. I'm sure. So that, I'm was, sure. that was the first time I was like, I'm actually playing with like a real musician. <laughs> right. I feel like that's more ex- accessible for your music career because, you know, most people would 
prefer that style than you know death metal technical death metal so agreed i just like i don't know any horn players that's the problem and it's like i would love to like try to set something up like that but mm. i mean i th- i don't really have the time and i think that's why i mostly just kind of have been a band slut and just have been you know <laughs> on to opportunities that i've been receiving because i don't think i have the time to start something from the ground up well, that's true but that's always kind of been my concern it's like i don't have the time to start a band i'll never i'll never get there and basically what i realized is oh i'm good enough that i can just join a band you uh you said you were the manager how how did that go i mean sometimes that is not fun at all <laughs> oh yeah being the manager of a jazz band at an engineering school where everybody was super busy um it it was hard sometimes to get people to actually kind of you know, listen, I guess, especially during load in and load out. Like most of the time you <laughs> wound up being just me and like maybe one or two other people who were also like management roles in the like music organization, like just doing all of the load in and load out. So, I mean, like, it's one thing when, like, if you tell a couple people, yeah, sure. That's a legitimate excuse. Like it's fine. But then everyone's kind of like, oh, these people are going home. I can go home too. And then the next thing you know, it's just two people loading in everything. And it's like, it's almost the polar opposite of what happened on that suffocation tour with everyone uh, out, which is funny because it's like, you know, it's almost like the polar opposite experience, like nationwide tour with like well-established bands and it's like college jazz ensemble. Didn't they know, didn't they know the rules or they just didn't care? Think uh, much they about knew- it? I think everyone knew that they were supposed to help load in and load out. It's just uh, <laughs> didn't always work out that way, I guess. Yeah, and then having to juggle schedules around that. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, especially when we were in school, I don't know, like we were all engineers and we all had very difficult course loads. And so, like, mm. again, like this is all stuff we're doing for fun. But, you know, I think something that a lot of people forget is that even fun things have shitty parts to it. And that's the stuff like load in, load out. Even like even stuff like sound check, which can be like kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. But it's like it's got to happen. Sound check's fine if the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, (laughs) it can be a big if though. I mean, I guess at at this point, I've kind of seen, I've seen great sound guys. I've seen not so great sound guys. Um, I think at this point, at least in New England, we've kind of figured out who some of the good ones are and usually stick to playing in those venues. During your suffocation tour, did you have your own sound guy? Suffo and Atheist did, um, but we did not. So you were basically relying on the house guy. Yeah, we had to rely on house sound. And so we didn't have too many issues. Um, so it's funny. So Surreption and Contrarian both relied on house sound. But we were about as polar opposite setups as you could possibly be. Contrarian is a, you know, we kind of fit the name. So like we're very old school, like contrary to what a lot of people are doing these days. And so we have like full stacks and everything set up behind us. And so even if the sound guy was like mediocre on a given night, like we would still have our cabs behind us and we would still be able to hear relatively well. 
whereas surreption um they were all di oh huh. and so like if the set if there was a shitty sound guy like you could kind of notice and yeah it was it was unfortunate and it, especially since you know like they would go up and they would crush it every single goddamn night <laughs> sometimes it was just the sound guy didn't know how to mix all di and it would just sound muddy yeah it's like, it's like I know what you're playing sounds good, but it just doesn't sound good out here. I'm I'm surprised you got you guys went full equipment. I would have been lazy and just also been done the DI route and be like less shit to bring, but I get it. You don't want to lose your integrity of your sound. So huh. one night on the tour, um, my amp head died. I think I think the tube blew. Um, it's got one of those, it's one of those amps that has like the tube front end, but then the solid state mm. back end. So I think the tube or something, because I wasn't getting any sound. And so the next day we wound up just getting an amp head from Guitar Center. But for that night, I, you know, wound up going full DI and I hated it. <laughs> it was the worst night of the tour for me, except for when I wrote Jim's amp, but that's a different story. <laughs> huh. But yeah, I hated not having like the feel of my bass behind me. Like, I yeah. couldn't even tell I was playing. Like I could hear the notes coming <laughs> from like the monitor in front of me, but I didn't feel like I was playing the notes. If that makes sense. No, it makes sense. Perfect sense. It was just, it was very disorienting. Best uh, <laughs> quote I heard is, "If you don't push air, you you can't move people." If you're not pushing air, then you're not pushing people to move. That's what I'm told. That makes sense. Yeah, I I, th- I kind of feel that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a whole different energy to a band that has like a full stack behind them instead of just using the house sound. Yeah. Like that's the a house sound and is that's fine. a whole yeah that's a whole debate right there. Some people like they want to go di and then they assume that that's going to be an adequate sound for everybody, but like people in the front can't really hear it because there's no cabs yeah and, and some people think that's great and i'm like it kind of defeats the purpose of playing live that whole punch that's know. exactly how i felt that night where i had to go di i was like i don't even feel like i'm playing live right now I no you're like just I'm hearing playing. a buzzing but you're not feeling it so yeah, yeah so different I, I felt like i was playing in my home studio just standing up in a dank club in front of like 100 people <laughs> <laughs> dank club <laughs> so like and you guys made pretty and you guys had a lot of merch to bring so did you ever okay another debate we have did you ever run into the old uh percentage merch taking venues actually no that's Whoa. something or i mean if they did i guess i didn't know about it <laughs> like i said like i the like gym was kind of the management for contrarian i was just kind of along for the ride but no. so I'll, I'll say that up front that I didn't, or I didn't have full transparency to all of the logistical aspects, but oh. from what I, from what I knew, I don't think we had to do merch cuts or anything. Um, I am of the mindset that merch cuts are awful and that they should not be a thing, but I think pretty oh. much every musician is like that. I'm sure every musician probably thinks that and every club owner is like, no, we got to charge merch cuts. Yeah, they're the only ones that are disagreeing. I, I feel like even people that aren't musicians are gung-ho about fucking telling the about, you know, 
that that's bullshit what they're doing because <laughs> being a musician does not get you much money to begin with oh god especially now it is impossible to make money touring like even you know hearing from people like travis ryan from cattle decapitation who's been doing this for decades and even he's been like i didn't talk to him personally but i kind of heard this through word of mouth that he was like yeah you can't make money right now like it's really rough and bands just aren't making money and i think part of it is that you know the touring market is so oversaturated right now but no one's making any money doing it so it's it's kind of a weird situation that like the music industry is in and i I mean i i guess a lot of it is probably trying to recoup their losses from the beast times yeah which again makes total sense especially if you're like a middle to larger size band where you're really like looking to that kind of income in order to like you know support your band and your lifestyle and everything I find it ironic that's the case because most of the cool tours skip Indiana to begin with. And it's like, well, you must not be that hard of for cash if your tour skips Indiana altogether. We're like a shitty, we're literally a, a toilet in the center of America. A lot of cool tours skip Indiana. I'm not saying every single one of them, but like I'm trying to think of a tour that completely missed us that was coming up. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm gonna be honest with you. We did not go to India. Exactly. See, like, I, 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 I don't know if anybody, any bands ever admitted why they skip it, but I, oh no, it's actually Suffocation came. Well, not that tour, but Suffocation did come through recently. Oh, with the DTA tour. Mm. The Death Tribute, basically. That one did not. They Suffocation actually did a one-off and played in Fort Wayne. Oh no shit. Yeah, and I saw. Them, I didn't go to that because I knew I was seeing Morbid Angel the next day, I think. And I had my mind set on that one. Oh, you mean the tour that's absolutely cursed? Oh, yeah. We saw him a few days after that. And it was like, what the fuck? Because I was all excited. And that tornado hit that venue. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like, and I guess. Like, if you... Sorry, I didn't cut you off. No, I, I just it, I was just worried that it wasn't going to happen. I mean, which I respected. But again, if you cut out of those tours a band can't afford that so luckily everybody was cool yeah yeah canceling that tour would probably you know put everyone even out of more money that that sucks too that you know that 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 has to happen to a band that there's no default you know what i mean like that's probably like this sucks but we really have no financial choice but to keep trucking and then like look at revocation too dave broke his wrist and he's <laughs> they're still going. He's like, yeah, I can't play guitar, but I can still sing at least. There'll be no lead guitar, but you know. I had yeah, I had saw him. Yeah, I saw him with his hands fine. So like I was lucky because I would I think different. it was a couple days after. Yeah. Probably shortly after when you saw them done. Yeah. And then so I think it was like a week after the tornado. Actually, with it was actually a few days after because they they took a break. I see. Tornado hit them on a Friday, I think, and then they took a break, and then they came to Indiana. Actually, they played Indiana twice. They went to Hobart, and then I think they went to Fort Wayne, or maybe they might have had a day off. I don't know. They went. I to think Fort they're Wayne. in Fort Wayne. They're probably the next, the next day, right? I think that's what it was. Because I, re- I was like, they're playing in Hobart. Holy shit! And then I saw no, and then I saw them the Tuesday and in uh fort fort wayne and it was great except morbid angel 
<laughs> I don't know. They're disappointing live. I don't know why lately. But I don't want to talk shit. I love them. It's just like they're not doing it for me, and I don't know why it is. I kind of feel the same. Like they're legendary, but I saw them live one time, and it's like eh. I've also just seen Dying Fetus, who I love, and so I was like going really hard for them, and then I was just tired. <laughs> oh yeah. See, like after that, it's just like oh, I don't know. Like I, I feel like somebody in that their sound guy and he's fired i don't know they just it's been i don't want to talk shit they did sound kind of it was like drum heavy and mushy guitar sound i'm like do you not hear this whoever's working for them i don't know it's just me talking shit isn't the vocalist of dying fetus and six feet under weren't they the same guy at one point i don't chris chris barnes chris barnes was definitely not in dying fetus okay (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know why i don't know why i'm thinking that like i know it was chris barnes i was like when you said dying fetus or whatever i was thinking i was like isn't that the chris Barnes dude that's like started being kind of a douche lately well he was in cannibal corpse okay that's what it was my uh death metal knowledge isn't the greatest i guess you're fired yeah well, <laughs> yeah i'll say it again i'm a nerd so <laughs> me now, too I honestly have never really gotten into some of those older death metal bands. I've tried to. It's just, I don't know. Like the Black Dahlia Murder was like my go-to band and stuff. I like more catchier melodic death metal, I guess. Yeah, Black Dahlia was definitely my gateway into extreme music. Them and Death Clock. (laughs) Death Clock. (laughs) Yeah, when I was like 13, that show was like just started airing. And it was pretty popular. And my mom knew I liked it. So she got me the <laughs> for Christmas, having no idea what kind of music it was. Just like, oh, this is a cartoon Jack watches. There's like, you know, you made it when your cartoon is accepted. Your death metal cartoon is accepted by like millions of people. And like, it's praise. And I was really pissed that fucking Cartoon Network had to pull that shit and like cancel the show. Yet they'd have dumbass shows like, I'll say it, fucking Rick and Morty. Fuck that show. You know, I, I loved Rick and Morty for like the first three seasons, and then it got real shitty real fast. And they, and it's some other show that they brought on, and I'm like, you canceled that fucking Metalocalypse for this? You didn't even like give that show a chance. Didn't they, I mean, they did cancel mm-hmm. the guy that started Rick and Morty for some like child weird shit that he'd done? Okay, well that was. No, that wasn't a real thing. Every every few years, an old video Dan Harmon made in the early 2000s where he pretends to, like, I don't know. It was a, I'm not going to defend it, I guess, because it's not very funny. But, like, he was trying to do a parody of Dexter where instead of a murderer, he just pretended to fuck babies. Oh, God. And so it was, like, him pretending to fuck a baby doll. And every few years, people get reminded of that. And they're like, oh, Dan Harmon is evil. It's like, <laughs> No, he was more evil because he sexually harassed a writer on Community, but no one talks about that anymore. So basically, he is a piece of shit. See? Yeah, he's a, he's a piece of shit, just not for the not for the reasons everybody thinks. <laughs> he should have. Yeah, and they they had to cancel Metalocalypse, and what's his face hasn't done a evil thing other than be cool and damn, I can't think of his name. Metalocalypse. Brandon Small is the man. Brandon Small, yeah. And well, have you seen Death Clock's touring with Baby Metal now? That's I don't know about baby metal. Like I want to see them, but like I, but I don't want to 
sit through baby metal. I mean, I don't. I don't care about baby metal, but I care about Death Clock and Jason Richardson is a badass. Jason so Richardson is fucking go. robotic motherfucker. <laughs> like why? Guy. Yeah, why couldn't they like tour with somebody else? And then see, like, there's all you're right. There's a big, huge like saturation of tours. I got Dream Theater coming up. You got Emperor. Oh, yeah. Emperor also, which I got a ticket for. I'm pretty excited about. This. It's like. May, yeah everybody wants to tour and i get it but it's like a lot of those tours skip indiana but anyway <laughs> yeah, and like the thing is too like you know there are only so many people out there who are willing to go to like multiple shows a week or even a month right like i know plenty of people who's like one show a month and that's it it's like you know we have jobs and everything and you know it's, i can't really justify going to boston for a show in the middle of the week getting home at like 3 a.m and then getting up at seven for work like is I that your that sorry is that your closest venue from where you live correct no like, i'm closer to the palladium in worcester and that's how close how far is that i'm about 20 minutes from there oh shit you're spoiled awesome <laughs> yeah I, I have vip tickets to go see between the buried and me there in june nice they're them and black dollar are my favorite bands and they're playing all of Parallax 2, which is my favorite album of all time. Nice. So I'm a my closest venue is an hour away, which is fine because I'm actually able to drive there and make it back to work in the morning. Like our the closest venue we used to have was about like 35 minutes away, but it's been closed for years because we live in the Notre Dame area and they care about football more than they care their other venues and we get like we, we have what's that so checks out yeah and i mean we got uh we got something called the morris but it seems like dad rock and all that kind of shit comes but we had a venue called the fever and it closed down that was our only kind of metal friendly thing i mean i remember fear factory played there with like hate eternal and that was probably the one of the best shows there i mean we have a promoter that would bring like stuff once in a while like he brought suffocation as well and animals and leaders at a periphery tour a long time ago but again the demand is went down and the money just kind of dried up so <laughs> not a lot of cool shit comes this way so i have to drive like an hour to go to chicago it's like a little more i hate chicago sorry i've only been once and it was when I was on tour, so I can't really speak much to it. Um, I liked the pizza that I got. Reggie's was cool. That was a cool venue. Was, uh, Reggie's is an interesting venue. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what it used to be. It's just, it reminds me of the Ninja Turtle lair, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's like, it seems like a sewer. I don't know. <laughs> the Ninja Turtle lair. Yeah, to me, it looked like the kind of place that had probably been like a greasy venue for about as long as it's been around. And before that, it was probably like a warehouse or something. That's what I'm wondering, because the floors are concrete and they kind of go slant. And well, on that's the a lot of venues, honestly. Yeah. Like the concrete, like the concrete box. So it's always fun to try to get. I, I've never stuff. looked at, I, I keep saying I'm going to look at the history of what Reggie's used to be, because I don't understand like what the hell it used to be. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, whatever it was, it was fun. Right. So yeah, some some tours go through Indiana, and then you know some go through Indy, and Indy's about like two three hours for me, which is 
hell of a long, boring drive. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be tough if you're not making like a full day out of it, basically. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of how it was when I was in high school. We didn't have anything closer than like an hour away. Most things were even farther. Like every once in a while, there would be a good show that was in like the Albany area that would be an hour. But usually I would either have to go to the Palladium in Worcester, which was like two and a half hours from where I grew up. Or there were a couple of times I'd even have to go to Rochester, which is far. <laughs> yeah. It was about four hours from where I grew up. And then we got this trend where like a lot of venues are closing. You know, as I was saying, like, that's what's really disheartening. Because, you know, if you want, even if you want to be like a small time band, have like mini tours, you're going to have to kind of drive <laughs> just to have a weekend warrior show or tour, I should say. And I don't know, it's a shame that a lot of venues are closing as well. Some are opening up back up in place, but I don't think enough to like cover them all. Yeah, we've definitely had some pretty great venues shut down over the past few years due to mm. you know, one reason or another. If you get my drift, but... Right. Some bullshit. I mean, we've had a few new ones open up. Um, yeah. There's a new one in Lowell, which is only about 45 minutes away from where I live. Mm. I went to a show there a couple of weeks ago. It was just a local gig, but I had a bunch of friends who were playing and wound up having a blast. It's an, it was like one of those venues that's like in the part of a big like industrial complex, basically. And there was a brewery right down the hall. And so the venue didn't have their liquor license yet. So we would just like go watch a band and then you go down the hall, grab a beer at the brewery, drink it, and go back and catch the next band. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like there's a resurgence of breweries and less venues. <laughs> I don't know. It just I think we need like... more. We need more breweries that are also like real venues. Honestly, I feel like we got one in Indy, like Black Circle. I think, right? I've never been there. I, what I love it? beer, so if there was a brewery that had like metal shows, I would... the Black Circle brewery. They have to force me to leave. Yeah, that's it's a brewery. They got their own stuff going on but they do a lot of shows there the owner was the guy that's actually he was the drummer of Demericus and he was the drummer of skeleton witch and i think he's got a new project out called flesher we're supposed to actually interview him next week sweet <laughs> flesher flesher i think is what they're called i'm not 100 percent certain so don't quote me about it. i'm pretty sure they're called flesher that's okay i'm always on blast for some reason or another usually because of the dumb shit that i say bastard hmm right on i'm trying to think of like no you've, you've mostly had some good stories hardly anything terrible aside from like the beast era you know and but you got you got through that and things have been good yeah that's I have to admit that was my only bit of trepidation coming on this podcast. Like I don't have too many shitty stories. Like I've really mostly just been pretty lucky and oh. had a good time, but I guess that's kind of what happens when you're, you're a bassist. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess when you're a bassist, but like also like I'm literally just there to have fun and have a good time. Like if I'm not having fun, then there's no point in doing it for me. So it's like, I'm only going to do it if it's fun. And I'm not going to, it's not going to be fun if it's just like shitty experience one after yeah. the other. I mean, like we've had some, you know, certain shows here and there. Like we did have one tour date 
get canceled the day before um, the suffocation tour. And that was, um, that was a promoter from what I heard. Um, apparently this was like the second or third time he had done this in the span of like a month or so. But he would like book these like larger metal tours and then do absolutely zero promotion and just kind of do the like rely on the like opening locals to do all the promoting for him. Where's it located at? It sounds like the same dipshits around. This was here. in Georgia. Okay. Damn, they have them out there too, huh? I'm pretty sure they're everywhere. Oh, what's wrong with those people? What the fuck? Like, I'm calling yeah, I'm, them out. I'm yeah, calling them out. Quit, quit your bullshit. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's like he didn't want to pay the guarantee out of pocket, or he didn't have to risk paying the guarantee out of pocket. So he just canceled the show the day before. And he had done that with like I want to say Hate Eternal or like another band of like that caliber. I think the weeks prior. That assholes like that need to still be financially responsible if the show's canceled. They guaranteed the show, and if they canceled the show, they still should be on the hook to pay something. Yeah, I mean, if a guarantee is a guarantee for a reason. I, I kind of agree with you there. That's not the way it worked out. I remember, I remember the one time I saw uh, the faceless right, <laughs> and I I saw him in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and. I don't know who the fuck booked that. You're a dumbass. But they literally <laughs> had a shitload of local bands, which is fine. But it was like a ridiculous mo- number of local bands. And like then, I think it's Lorna Shore also. I can't remember who else was on that. But again, you had your headliners, but then you had a shitload of local bands. And Faceless didn't go on to like, I don't know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck? And I had to go to work the next day because I thought I'd get off early or get out a decent time and drive home. But I, I don't even know how I made it to work. I listened to the Lorna Shore album and somehow drove home happy, but whatever. Because I finally got to see the Faceless. And yeah, years that, ago, I was actually on something similar to that and I didn't. At the time, I didn't know who Oceano was because it was in like 2007, I think. And I don't know if they were already signed and released an album at that point or not, but there was like fucking eight bands on this thing and they were like the headliner. I don't remember them playing because I was by the point that they played, I think we're already like we're outside loading up and shit because it was so fucking late. But I don't understand why people book shows with that many bands on it. Honestly, this is, yeah. Sorry, please go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, unless it was like a one-off date, they probably still tried, could not afford their guarantee. So they're like, oh, let's just make the locals fucking sell a bunch of tickets and then get a bunch of the locals on there to bring all their fans to pay for my guarantee that I fucked up. But We didn't pay to play that show or anything. It was just a show. I actually think it was, I forget where it was. It was not too far from here. But Again, that I don't think Oceano because I think they're actually from Chicago, so they're probably just coming through anyways. But it was just strange because looking back on it after a couple of years, I was like I remember that band. It was the same thing like when uh, we came as Romans came through Kokomo and we played with them, and they weren't even signed at that point. Then like a couple of years later, they were on a fucking Victory Records or whatever the fuck they're signed to. <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember those guys; they were kind of cool. Definitely not on Victory anymore. Yeah, I don't. Is Victory still existing? No. <laughs> yeah. I think I they got some legal trouble. 
Yeah. Uh, that was, I think we actually brought this up on another episode. It was mentioned. I was like, I don't even know if they're even a bit or a label anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know there was a whole big fiasco between them and Streetlight Manifesto a few years back. I wasn't, I would think this was when I was in high school, so I wasn't paying too much attention, but there was, a, they were like fighting for the rights for their catalog or something for a while. They were just kind of being relatively shady, but I don't know the details, so I'm not going to sit yeah. here something on blast, especially even if it doesn't exist anymore. But going back to what we were saying, I will say that something that I have seen a lot of out here is the kind of show where it's like there'll be two or three touring bands and then they'll get just like four, five, six local openers to you know, <laughs> space, basically. Usually they're there to like sell tickets so the promoter doesn't have to. Um, and then, you know, usually they would be like, a lot of the time they would be kind of a play, pay to play type thing too, where you were on the hook for X amount of money, no matter what. And if you didn't sell the tickets that you had to sell to make that money, you, you, you know, you had to pay it out of your own pocket. Um, mm-hmm. The last King for a long time, we played shows like that. And like, we, I'd say we probably mostly played shows like that for a while, but we knew how to make it work for us. I'm not going to sit here and say that pay to play is a horrible thing and that nobody should ever do it because like Brett's a businessman. He has a business degree. He's, I think he's like the finance guy for a used car firm. So he, he knows how to be a slippery motherfucker. <laughs> he knows how to sell tickets. And like, you know, we all had pretty decent networks around new England too. So like we knew how to sell the tickets we needed to sell to kind of get it so that we didn't have to pay out of our own pocket. And by doing that, we did get the opportunity to play with a lot of bands that I really love and respect. And so, and that's like experience that you know is never going to go away. But you know, I've also been in like situations with other groups where we have had to pay a significant amount of money out of pocket because we couldn't sell tickets. I was in a band very briefly back in like 2018. We only did one show. And it was one of those shows where it was like, they called it a festival, even though it was like 17 local bands there selling tickets. And then like two or three washed up old dudes from the 90s or the early 2000s. Like, I think Puddle of Mud was the fucking headliner. Oh, right. (laughs) Handlebox. Yeah, but luckily I was just there as like, I was like the hired goon once again. It seems to be a recurring theme. But like, so they were kind enough to not make me be on the line for any of that money. But still, like, mm-hmm. we wound up, we definitely paid to play that show. And we never did anything after that. It's kind of disappointing. Wow. Do you believe that the pay to play, like selling tickets or everything, to open up for these bigger bands, does it really benefit the band's themselves because i've done it before ed's done it do you really gain a whole like i I never really noticed like anything from it like we may have oh yeah we sold a shirt or two but it's like like we spent like five hundred dollars in tickets and we only sold like however many so we basically ate most of those tickets and it's like did we really benefit from this i just always afterwards i'd always get discouraged like we could invest that money into something more productive i guess yeah i mean it's it's hard to kind of justify losing a significant amount of money on the show pretty much at any point in time 
But like I said, like TLK kind of had our system down where we didn't really have a lot of those opportunities where we wound up having to pay significantly out of pocket. And then, um, you know, we sold our tickets and then, you know, we did also sell some merchandise and honestly, a huge part for me, at least personally, is just having that opportunity to meet these bands that I've been looking up to respected for years now. And like, now they're like, I'm finally meeting them and, you know, we're jamming and like, I can call them my peers. And like, that's really freaking cool. But if we had had to pay $200 out of pocket every time we had to play a show like that, I don't know if it would be worth it. Yeah. I mean, not like the situations I've, we've been in. It's usually, they give you tickets and they give you like a small percentage of what you get. And I think if you- Oh, I've never seen that. That's, oh, that's messed up. Yeah, we got a couple, yeah, we got a couple of venues like that. And that's the only time I'll enjoy doing it. But- yeah, you get a small percentage of it. And basically, you're kind of fighting for the better spot, I believe. Like, if you sell more than the other band, then you'll go, you know, they'll go before you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that, we've kind and, of done that, too. It's been like a competition. Like, see who can sell, whoever sells the most tickets gets to be the direct support or whatever. Correct. And that, that I'm, I'm okay with that, because then it means you're doing your work, even though it's hard to probably sell for whatever it is, depending on the band like okay like we did this for like nita strauss like her solo act thing not not good and so we we weren't and now we weren't direct support because we were kind of like the second band i don't remember either way it was kind of cool because we got to meet her and mark rizzo and like i i like that formula i'm fine with that but again what does it mean for us so we make a little bit and we might gain like a fan or two. We might sell something. And I mean, the one show we did sell a lot of stuff, but it's like, we're still small time potatoes. I don't really know if it benefited us in a huge way at the end of the day. I mean, it's kind of like you're almost being whoring yourself out for some promotion a little bit. At this know. point, I think with music is you just take it for your own enjoyment and don't expect it from anybody else. That's, as long as yeah, that's what I, yeah. I mean, as I long as care. you're enjoying what you're doing, it doesn't matter if anyone else yeah. does. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing too. Like I'm not sitting down after a show and doing a freaking audit of my finances. All right. <laughs> I'm going to come home. And I'm going to be like, fuck. Yeah. I just played a show. Some people liked our songs. I got to meet some people I like who like are in good bands. Like, Chuck that up as a W. I feel like I'll, I'll admit it now, and they're not going to hear me, but I swear it inflated the egos of a couple of my band members after playing like one of those shows. Like, we ain't shit yet, dude. We're not getting paid. Like, you know, I remind <laughs> yeah, them, like, you know, that'll happen. <laughs> like, it, it, I, you're still, you're all still going into the same job mon- come Monday. And it's like, this is when you know you've made it when they ask you to play that show and you don't have to sell tickets right like that's when you can get the ego about yourself yeah we brought all these people out here we didn't even have to sell these tickets they just asked us to open up for this big ass band right but that's that's never going to happen unless you're actually big you know what i mean like that's what i'm saying (laughs) yeah we got paid a hundred dollars or 100 or 200 bucks or something to open for beyond creation one time in boston that's that's pretty good in 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 band fund that's a lot of money (laughs) yeah for real (laughs) yeah plus like sell merch and you can make like i don't know a couple hundred bucks yeah, we sold a decent amount of merch that night. It was with, yeah, it was with Equipoise too. And we had Mike Alvarez, who's doing vocals with them, 
um, he did a guest spot on one of our songs. And so we had him come up on stage and sing his part with us. And so like, nice. even if we didn't get paid, like that would have made the whole experience worth it. But like, but yeah, we didn't have to sell tickets or anything. Honestly, it's been a long time since we've had to sell tickets. We were doing that for a while, but I think at this point we've kind of gotten to the point where we can get pretty good shows without having to do that. Yeah. But again, the formula I'm saying I can deal with that, but it's just like the other terrible formulas where you're you're supposed to pay up what you don't pay. I mean, we got a couple from sleazy ass promoters that still fucking believe in that. I'm like, why are you still around? why didn't covid take you out oops i said it (laughs) he said it earlier tonight too actually i think we're okay to say that we just can't say the other things yeah i've seen a lot of podcasts still talk about it so we're anyway the word the word is just there was other issues with it but i'm i'm done trying to find them and edit them i'm too lazy at this point sorry (laughs) i I kind of like these sarah i do like these I wrote a song about it, but that's a whole little inside story that I won't talk about right now. But whatever. <laughs> Fuck uh, it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like again, the business model is kind of dumb sometimes. And it's just again, it the nerve of these people after three years of not having shows and they still come up with these fucking sleazy practices. Stop it. Oh yeah, no. Stop it. All the all the sleazy <laughs> shit that existed before the beast time still exists. Like it's nothing just, has really changed. It just kind of stopped. That's why I'm like, fuck, man. Just take have the aliens destroy us. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. We we failed the test again. Whatever test the creator, whoever you believe in, had thrown at us, we failed again. <laughs> the great engineer programmer. <laughs> Basically, we, we failed again. So just fucking wash us away. Reboot. Reboot. I'm waiting, waiting on the meter to come and take us out like the dinosaurs. Oh, what's that movie? Uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide. That whole fucking, that whole creepy shit, how they just destroyed the earth. I've never seen that. That's a, I'm, I'm a bad nerd. I've never seen Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, I've never seen it either, and I'm pretty nerdy as well. Well, I won't spoil it, but basically at the beginning of the movie, Earth gets destroyed, and because this one guy pushed this one guy out of traffic from getting hit, he was actually alien in disguise. He let he took him with him as his uh, as his friend, so he was the only human that got to live because he saw that alien. And the rest of it gets weird, but it's funny that just Earth was getting destroyed. <laughs> That's pretty much almost every fucking movie from the guy from. Uh... That made Independence Day. Michael Bay. Well, or am I thinking of someone else? No, no. that's a uh, oh, Roland Emmerich. Yeah, I hate his fucking movies. Michael like, Bay. <laughs> he, like the only good movie he had was like Universal Soldier. After that, like everything is CGI. Like the worst movie I've ever seen is Day After Tomorrow, and I hate that movie more than I hate Jack Black. Almost. Oh, that movie. oh I love Jack Black. Oh, that movie okay. sucked though. <laughs> You're it right. Is, like it. It was just like terrible coincidence after coincidence after coincidence like this does not happen in real life those wolves are cgi you couldn't afford real wolves what the fuck anyway everything's cgi that that was the era where cgi was really overused but the technology uh, wasn't quite there yet so everything just had this awful uncanny valley type vibe to it and and i'm a child of the 80s so like i believe even if it kind of looks fake 
I'd rather have people try to attempt to make something look the way it is, but they don't. And Why does the first Jurassic Park look better than the one that just came out? Like, probably because because of CGI. They yeah. the first Jurassic Park they used actual like puppets. <laughs> they used real dinosaurs. Practical Almost. effects, man. Practical, Practical effects. effects. A, yeah, but even a, the CGI that they had, I think, still looked better than some of the shit that they have nowadays. Not well, like thirty years ago. I maybe they tried harder. Versus they did use like, a lot of animatronics, yes, but like there were certain things that had CGI, and I think the CGI looked better than what it did to, like nowadays. Laziness. Because at the time, it's like, ooh, it's something new. We need to be very careful with this. Nowadays, they just roll it out like a shitter. That- like <laughs> all the Marvel movies, like everything's fake looking. <laughs> yeah, I, but- I think it's like this awkward situation where it's like maybe technically better from a specification standpoint. But when it's actually perceived by the end viewer, it looks fake as hell. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's the problem I have with a lot of like modern movies and shit. Like I don't watch anything from the MCU. I'm a I'm a big like contrarian when it comes to that sort of thing. I'm a I'm a Lord of the Peter, I'm a Peter Jackson fan, and like I know he combined, oh, yeah. but he combines both. And the magic about him is he says you might be looking at something, and you didn't realize it's a special effect. It's like, oh shit, that's kind of cool, you know. Even those movies, though, like I felt like the Lord of the Ring trilogy looked better than the fucking Hobbit movies. Well, the Hobbit was the Hobbit was rushed. Like they, he wasn't even supposed to direct it, and like they kind of threw him in there, and they got fucking lazy. Is what happened with those movies? Yeah, they felt like they were lazy. I feel like the first three, like the Lord of the Rings, it's like the holy grail for like it is the way things look, like far as like the tech they had like they had more time to prepare the hobbit again they did not have time they were just kind of throwing shit at the wind so yeah that's what happened <laughs> and then trying to make three movies out of a small book is just a little over yeah that bit. too's like what the hell and like there's oh. still an extended trilogy of the hobbits i don't remember Where a hot elf in the i don't from? remember a hot elf in the book but whatever <laughs> but yeah that's that's funny. You could have a whole fucking another rant about movies, but that's other podcasts. I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see Bo is Afraid tomorrow. Who? The new Ari Oster movie, Bo is Afraid. It's oh. like three hours of esoteric nonsense starring oh, Joaquin Phoenix. I would say the that's Joaquin the kind Phoenix. of shit I watch. Oh, huh. never heard of it. I've seen the preview for like the, the next Fast and the Furious, and I about read I almost got my a knife and like ended it. Oh my god, why? Family. Let's yeah, look fast 12. <laughs> yeah, fast X, and I'm like, what are they going to fucking space now? Probably we, Jason. We don't did. even we don't even <laughs> we don't even have like Jason. We don't even have like flying cars. What the fuck? I don't know. It, it, was in space by the fourth one. Like, get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, but he's valid. He's got fucking magical powers. There's a difference. But fast, fast. Didn't they have a leprechaun in the hood too? Yes, that's a oh, that's a right classic after he was in space. Dude, that, I that's a lot You need to watch that. That fucking thing is like fucking classic. It should have won an Oscar. Like <laughs> it's just it's so bad, it's good. That's fucking how good it is. Like yeah, I'm a sucker for that shit. <laughs> like he even raps and shit. I'm like, this is the greatest movie of all time. Hands <laughs> down, dude. I'll have to find it and watch it. Yeah, it's probably on like Netflix or Hulu, Hubi or whatever the fuck, but it's worth a watch. 
Just I have a 2B it. account. I'll find it on there. They have everything. Oh, it's there. definitely on 2B. Everything's got, on fucking 2B. You got to watch it one time in your life just to say it is. That's all I'm saying. I've been finding a lot of weird fucking documentaries on 2B about aliens and fucking all sorts of stuff. So I've just been watching that shit. Mm. I have another podcast. It's all about conspiracies, aliens, ghosts, paranormal. So I always try and look into stupid shit so I can <laughs> find people to talk to about it. But on that note, I think we can wrap this one up. Is there a specific song that you would like to, from a band, one of your bands that you would like to feature at the end of this? Yeah, there is. Um, it would be the song... Oh. It's, it's a mouthful. Apollonis of Tiana. <laughs> it's it's the song on the newest album that I played on. It's all Greek to me. Yeah. Yes, well, quite literally. If <laughs> you have like an very MP, Greek. If you have an MP3 or a wave of it, if you want to email it to me, you can though. I can just add it on to the I end do. of the recording. Yeah, that'd I be awesome. That. Well, yeah. again, Jack, thanks for coming out and talking with us and been interesting definitely enjoyed talking with you hey thanks for having me guys it was a lot of fun yeah if you were you seem like a cool guy if i want to be in a band with you you have to figure out what he looks like ed i well i said my guess and then i thought of like john heater who plays napoleon dynamite when he's not being napoleon dynamite oh i definitely don't look like that (laughs) fuck all right do i gotta turn my camera on and show him now yeah, you can. I think he looks like every normal metal guy. <laughs> what do you look like? I was way off. I told you. <laughs> yeah, you're. you're I told you I don't look like a nerd for someone who's a. Big you look nerd. like my drummer with hair. <laughs> the glasses, shit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. But yeah, definitely appreciate it. And if you want to yeah. do some plugs of where they can check out your guys's music at. Yeah, so, um, yeah, anything by Contrarian and The Last King is available where all music is available. Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, etc. Um, keep an eye out for new The Last King and new Necrogenesis coming later this year. Um, and again, Contrarian Saves of Shekinah was released last month in March. Available where music is available. Right on. Like I said before, this probably won't come out for a, a little while because we have a pretty big back catalog of episodes, but we'll make sure we get that song added on there and I'll try and get all the information I can. If you just want to send me an email that has like the links to your bands, I'll put all that in the info to the episode so that everyone can just click on it and find you guys. Yeah, um, I'll set that up right now. Right on. Well, again, thanks, guys. Good talking with you and we'll catch you on the next one. Cool. Thanks again, guys. Yep. Have fun.